compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. It's great to have you on this July 4th, and I'm thankful that you're able to be with us, whether you're literally in the building or if you're uh, connecting with us online through the internet. As a church, uh, we occasionally study the Bible topically, but the lion's share of what we do is we preach consecutively right through books of the Bible. That means that some weeks we're talking about people's favorite verses, and other weeks, well, let's just say we're looking at some more challenging verses, things that are a little bit more uh, mundane or often ignored in Scripture. But what we found is by preaching consecutively through the Scriptures, it's often those more ordinary parts of Scripture that hold great gems, things that we've never seen before. But once we study them, we come to love them and appreciate them. And the good news is that this morning we have one of those portions of Scripture. And we're going to read it this morning. And at first it's going to sound like we're reading the phone book. Like, why would we actually spend time to study that? But then we're going to take, and like a diamond, we're going to hold it up after we dig it out a little bit. And we're going to hold it up to the light and turn it. And you'll see that every direction we turn it, it has a new and beautiful facet, all pointing to one particular point, humility. And what does humility look like in ordinary life for everyday people like you and me? That's what we're going to be learning about. Now, before we get into the text, let me give you a little bit of background. Remember, we are uh, currently in Philippians chapter 2, and at the beginning of that chapter, Paul has uh, defined humility for us. And if you happen to have your electronic outlines, you'll see I put this right on the top. Humility is um, considering others... Humility is considering others more significant than ourselves. And humility is looking out for the interests of others and not just our own. So after Paul defined humility in this chapter, he gave us an example of what humility looks like. And that example is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. No one is more humble than Jesus. He's the one who created all things, yet he humbled himself to permanently fuse himself with the human body and to delimit himself. He chose to do that so he could completely identify with us. Then he died on the cross for us, becoming sin for us. There is no more humble life than Jesus. After that, we looked at last week, uh, we saw that Paul moved on to a sort of a, it seemed like a separate topic, but it really it's a connected topic. He said that we need to take and work out our salvation. In other words, we need to work on our spiritual maturity. And that spiritual maturity is not something that happens instantly, it's something that happens over time as we pursue it and God matures us. And he's talking about we need to pursue humility. Humility is not something that happens instantly when we become a Christian. It happens over time as we grow in being a Christian. In addition, he gave us an example of how humility comes out in practical life. It has to do with our attitude. Humble people are grateful people, not grumbling people. 
the only problem at this point is the example that Paul gave us for humility is Jesus. Well, that's a, the great example. That's the perfect example. But for you and me, doesn't it feel like it's a little bit of an unobtainable example? <laughs> I mean, no one could be more humble than Jesus. How can I sort of connect with humility with Jesus? Wouldn't it be nice if you could see what humility looked like for ordinary people like you and me? Would it look like for ordinary people to work out their salvation by trying to be humble, grateful, not grumbling people in an everyday, ordinary world? Well, the good news I have for you is the passage we're going to study this morning is exactly that. It's the story of three ordinary people like you and me working out their salvation by focusing on humility and gratefulness instead of grumbling in ordinary life. Their names are Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. Or as I like to affectionately call them, Paulo, Timbo, and Ephro. Real ordinary people like you and me. So if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be focusing on their story, which comes in verses 16 through 30. It's a long section of text we're going to cover this morning, but we're going to keep moving as we go through it. Why don't you stand out of reverence for God's Word, and I will read those verses to us. Beginning in verse 16. Paul says, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon so that I, too, may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with his father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ." risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You can be seated. 
before we get into the text, let me give you a, a little bit of orientation to what you need to know. In ancient letters that were written, there was often greetings that were passed back and forth between people. People that were with you when you wrote the letter had an opportunity to throw in a little greeting to people who would be with the person you were writing to when they, they read the letter. Also, it was a time where you put in a little travel log. By the way, these people will be traveling this direction. These people will be traveling that direction. And that's how you often did things in letters. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have FaceTime to keep up with each other. So they just included it in their letters. Typically, though, all that was reserved for the end of letters. If you want to see examples of that, you can go to the book of Romans. You'll find that kind of stuff at the very end of Romans. Or the book of Colossians. You'll see that stuff at the end of Colossians. But for some strange reason, Paul hijacked that travel log section, which would usually go at the end of the letter, and here stuck it right smack in the middle of the letter of Philippians. Why would he do that? It's because Timothy and Epaphroditus are an example, like I said, of humble people who are working out their salvation in an everyday world, and examples of, and examples of exactly what he has just taught us earlier in this chapter. Let me show you how they unpack. First, we'll start with Paul. And I'm going to give you, for each one of these guys, I'll give you a little phrase that helps you identify what is unique about their humility. And with Paul, it's this. Humility is gladly sacrificing my life for the spiritual good of others. Because that's what Paul does. I'm glad to sacrifice my life for your spiritual good. And I'll show you the first facet of that. Uh, the point is this. Humility gives me genuine concern for the day others will stand before Christ, not just the day that I will stand before Christ. Humility gives me genuine concern about the day others will stand before Jesus. And we see this in verse 16. Paul says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul's goal for his life is that he would plant these churches. There would be this great group of Christians who would love Jesus, who would hold fast to Jesus. They would hold fast to the gospel. He poured all of his energy, all of his time into planting these churches and growing these churches and preparing people for the day that they will stand before Jesus to be judged by Jesus or to be rewarded by Jesus. The focus of Paul's life was on the spiritual maturity of other people. Isn't that humility? Looking out for others' interests, not just your own. Concern for other people, not just yourself. Paul is living a humble life by focusing his life on the spiritual maturity of other people. Now we see this, by the way, in another way. Uh, we can see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, For what is our joy, our hope, or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not 
you. I'm giving all of my life for you, not for me. Incidentally, uh, I'm a little bit behind tech in technology on occasion, just so you know. I had the exact same monitor for my computer for 20 years. Had a real big, thick edge on it. Just recently replaced it, sort of upgraded. But I used that big, thick edge. I put little memory verses of scripture that I wanted to remember on the edge of the computer so I could always read them. And I kept this verse, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19, on the edge of my computer as a great reminder that my job as a pastor was to pour myself out and is to pour myself out for the spiritual maturity and the spiritual health of the people that God has privileged me to pastor the people that God has privileged me to invest my, my life into. That was the focus of Paul's life. And as a pastor, that needs to be the focus of my life. But the truth is, for humble people, it's also the focus of your life, isn't it? Pouring your life out for other people to know Jesus Christ, to prepare them for the day that they will stand before Jesus. That's the life of a humble person. Isn't that why when we, when we had Awana going, that people would sign up to be in Awana to help prepare little kids for the day that they will stand before Jesus? Isn't that why people help out in youth group? To prepare young adults to come to know and love Jesus. Isn't that why people would get involved in men's ministry and women's ministry? Not because it's just good social fun, but we're trying to sharpen one another, like iron sharpens iron, to know Jesus Christ better and be prepared for the day we'll meet him. That's what humble people do. That theme continues as we move a little further into the text. And here's the main point we see. Humility considers it a privilege to spend my life for the spiritual good of others. And notice it's a privilege to spend my life for the spiritual good of others. Paul points it out this way in verses 17 and 18. For even if I am, am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is reaching back into the Old Testament, into the, the sacrificial system. And you've, you've studied that at all. You know, they'd take an animal and they'd slit its throat and they would ultimately put the animal on the altar and the animal would be burned and it, has, it would be consumed. And then what we find is that if you look in a place like 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 13, you find that sometimes they would do a drink offering at the end of that, which is usually be wine, and it was poured out on the hot coals of the animal offering. And if you've ever poured water on a campfire, what happens to that water? Whoosh! Instantly evaporates and goes up in steam. And it's gone. And Paul says here, you know, I've given my life to invest in your faith. To help create your faith. I've given my life for all of your faith and for other churches. Even if my whole life is poured out upon you and it's consumed and destroyed for the creation of your faith, guess what, guys? I'm glad about it. It's a privilege to spend my life for the creation of faith in your life. 
Isn't that humility? Considering others better than yourself? Looking out for the interests of other people, not just your own? Saying, I could lose my whole life for the creation of your faith, and that would be okay for me. It would be a joy for me. We're not going to spend much time with Paulo, but the main thing you want to remember is humility for him is a privilege to be able to sacrifice his life for the spiritual good of others. Let's go ahead and look at Timothy. And here's what we find about him. Humility is honoring Jesus and serving people before caring about myself. For Timothy, humility is serving Jesus by serving others, in particular by serving Paul. We see this in verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Paul would love to go see the Philippians. We know that. He's already said in the beginning of the book he deeply loves this church. He loves the people there, but he's not going anyplace soon. We know that he's in Rome. He's under house arrest. He's in jail, so he's not going to be able to go there. So he's going to send Timothy there, who's going to express Paul's love and show Paul's love to the Philippians. But let's look at Timothy, and who is he, and how do we understand him? We know the scriptures tell us that he was a native of Derby and Lystra, which were little tiny towns that were in the region of Galatia. Had a great mother whose name was Lois, a grandmother whose name was Eunice. Lois and Eunice were, were Christians. His father, we know, was a, a Greek, most likely not a Christian. So Timothy grew up with a foot in both worlds, uh, a foot in the Jewish-Christian world from his mother and grandmother, yet a foot in the Gentile world from his own father. Timothy would have been educated according to his father, so he would have been educated in Greek culture in ways, but never, un never discount mom. Mom is a very powerful thing, especially his mom, Lois, because Lois taught him the Bible, Lois taught him about Jesus, and Timothy became a Christian. In fact, he became a, a very powerful Christian, a very useful Christian, and even though he was a young guy, most likely just in his early 20s, we find when Paul meets him in Acts chapter 16, he was such a standout young man that Paul asked him to join him on the missionary journeys. Timothy, uh, at that point, shortly thereafter, sort of becomes Paul's protege. Paul deeply loves this guy. He calls him his son in the faith, almost as if th this is the son that Paul did not have. That is how much Paul loves Timothy. But what no marks Timothy out as unique is Timothy is incredibly humble. And he focuses on that humility by being an incredible servant, serving Paul. Anything Paul needed, Timothy was willing to do. Any place Paul sent him, Timothy was willing to go. Humility is considering others better than yourself. Humility is looking to the interests of others, not just your own. Isn't that exactly what Timothy did in real life? Humbled himself to be a servant of 
Paul. For instance, in this section right now, Paul is about ready to send Timothy to Philippi. That's an 800-mile trip that Paul is confident Timothy will make and be faithful to complete as a 20-year-old guy. That's what we love about this guy. Well, let's read this text. He says, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. What's happening right now is Paul does not know the outcome of his trial. He may live, he may die, but Timothy will be the one who will bear that news to the Philippians. That is a very weighty responsibility. Now let's take this, di- this diamond up and look at some of the facets we see in the verses that follow. Here's the first one I point out to you. Humility is modeling my life after someone that is spiritually mature instead of my peers. It's modeling my life after someone that's spiritually mature instead of my peers. Years ago, remember when everybody was wearing those bracelets, the WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? And the idea was whenever we went into a situation, we'd ask what Jesus would do, and then we would do it. I think Timothy had one of those bracelets, but it was WWPD. What would Paul do? He would ask himself that question, and that's what he would do. Because what we find when you look at Timothy's life is he intentionally, as a 20-something young man, made a very conscious effort to model his life after a much older and more spiritually mature man called Paul. Here's what it says in Philippians 2.20. Paul says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. The word like here, it doesn't come out in the English, but it's hidden in the Greek. It means literally to be one-souled, to be one mind. Paul says, I have nobody else who has so much like me as Timothy has become like me. Timothy is a Paul Jr., He has set himself out to think like Paul and to act like Paul. You know what most young people are like. They want to intentionally despise the older generation. They want to separate themselves from the older generation. Should we say they want to tear down statues? (laughs) Timothy went the opposite way. He wanted to learn everything he could about what it means to be a Christian in this life by studying and following Paul. In humility, he considered others better than himself and looked out not just for his own interests, but for the interests of others. Now the question becomes, how much did Timothy become like Paul? There is a statement in Corinthians that just is amazing. Let me show this to you. Paul says this, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Live the Christian life like I live the Christian life. And then he says this, that is why I sent you Timothy. Well, who is already living the Christian life like Paul? Timothy is. He's my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Humility in a practical way is humbling yourself 
finding an older, more godly man or woman that you can mentor and trying to imitate them. Not trying to, be, trying to be a young man or young woman who is trying to despise the older generation, but try to learn from godly men and women who are alive in the older generation. Let's apply that. I'd ask you, who are the people that are in your life that are older than you are, that are more godly and more spiritually mature than you are, that you are intentionally trying to learn from and model your life after. Some of us don't have anybody. And the reason we may not have anybody is because we're actually not that humble. Because we don't see anybody else we'd like to follow besides ourselves. And that may be a little something that God checks us in in our spirit. Because Timothy wanted to follow Paul. So we continue to, to look at Timothy and, and look at him like a gem here. And we look at humility once again in his life. We see this. Humility is genuine concern for the needs of others. Paul says this about Timothy. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. One of the things that set Paul apart was his genuine love for people and for the people in the churches that he planted. Humility is looking out for others' interests and not just your own. It's considering others, not just your, yourself. That was the way Paul lived, and that's the way Timothy lived. He would genuinely care for the Philippians. Unfortunately, Paul says that for many other Christians around him, they only have superficial care for other people. They don't have genuine care for other people. Humble people have genuine care for other people. Prideful people only have superficial care for other people. And by the way, the word concern here, I noted this in, in the Greek, it's a very strong word. It says that Paul, or Timothy, like Paul, when he interacted with the Philippians, didn't just feel for them intellectually, he felt for them emotionally, deeply concerned for their welfare, genuinely concerned for their welfare, even to the point he felt it in the heart. Isn't that humility? It's humility, once again, considering the interests of others before your own. I'll give you another angle on this. Humility is being more focused on what pleases Jesus than what pleases me. And we see that's another quality of Timothy. He says, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Very revealing. Paul is in Rome, and no doubt there's many Christians around him. We know historically at this point that the church in Rome was actually about the same size as the church in Jerusalem itself. So there is a lot of Christians around Paul. But what does he say about them? Really, they're all about their own interests. They're not about Jesus Christ's interests. They're really all about self-promotion. They're not about Jesus Christ's promotion. Except for Timothy. Timothy's different. 
He's genuinely concerned for promoting Jesus, not himself. Now, if we'd be honest, you look back on it, you know that a lot of people try to use the church for self-promotion. They use the church to build up their ego and their identity. They get a leadership position in the church. They let that um, swell up their pride. If they come to church, they use it as an opportunity for networking and business connections and a reputation in the community. But that's ultimately self-promotion, not Jesus promotion. What I love about Timothy, he is such a humble man. It doesn't matter if his reputation is ruined. It doesn't matter if his name is never in the lights. All that matters to Timothy is that Jesus is made much of. All that matters to Timothy is that Jesus is honored and adored. Because Timothy is a humble person, not a prideful person. We can apply this to our life. What matters to you? What matters to me? What matters in our life is that our name is famous, that our name is recognized, or that people remember Jesus. They can forget us, but as long as they remember Jesus, all is good. Let me flip over my notes here and show you another one. Humility considers it a privilege to serve others in gospel work, even when it's hard work. And oh, by the way, I love this point. This is so good. Paul says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with his father, he has served with me in the gospel. We've already seen this is like a father and a son relationship between the two of them. Now, I haven't been in a father and son business, but I know from people who have been in a father and son business that those are not always easy relationships. Sometimes dad has a vision of what things should be, and the son has a vision of what things should be, and it's a lot of headbutton in the family business. And maybe that's what you picture when you read this. But the Greek brings out a different angle, which is extremely interesting. There's different words for son in Greek. There is a general term for son, which could be an adult son, but there's also another term for son, which has to do with a younger son, sort of a, a young boy. That is the term that is pictured here. The way Timothy goes to work with Paul and serves with Paul is like a young son going to his dad's business for a day of work. You guys ever have boys? And when your son gets a chance to go with dad to work? Can you remember what that was like? For those of you who haven't had that experience, you can picture that experience of that son being so proud to go with his dad, so privileged to go with his dad. Whatever dad told him to do, he was thrilled to do because I was doing dad's work. I was part of dad's job. Humility and joy. That is the picture used to describe how Timothy works with Paul. Like a young son filled with joy to help his dad in a day of work. And he goes home at the end of the day and he's just bubbling with joy because I had a chance to spend time with my dad, my father. 
Isn't that humility all over again? Humility, looking out for others' interests, not your own. Humility, considering others more important than yourself. It's a humble attitude by which Paul serves with Paul, and Timothy serves with Paul and works with Paul, even though, as we're going to see in a few moments, sometimes the thing that Paul asks him to do is very hard, very difficult, and very sacrificial. Yet he still does it without grumbling. He does it with gratefulness and joy. This one's also important. Humility is giving up life's pleasures for the gospel. He says, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. The point I want to make on this verse is not necessarily obvious from this verse. It's sort of ancillary, but it is extremely important. Remember that Timothy has given himself as a 20-something-year-old man to serving with Paul He gave up his life and began traveling with Paul. He gave up his relationships. He he gave up his family. He gave up everything to constantly, sacrificially, and joyfully help Paul. And this continued for years. Every time Timothy sort of made good relationships, Paul would say, I need you to go to this city. I need you to take this letter. And he'd have to uproot at an instant and go. It was a great sacrifice to be a servant of Paul. Never do we hear of Timothy falling in love. Never do we hear of Timothy getting married. Never do we hear of Timothy having children. Just constantly uprooting, traveling, and going wherever Paul wanted him to go as a 20-something-year-old person, at least at first. That is humility not looking out for his own interests, but for the interests of others. Not living for his own kingdom, but for the interests of Christ's kingdom. In fact, we know that Paul at this point is writing from prison and or house arrest as it is in Rome. But you go to the end of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, guess who else also finds themselves in prison for the gospel? Timothy. Like father, like son. So we see humility here. Every angle we turn, this diamond. There's humility in Paul's life, which we saw as joyfully sacrificing himself for the spiritual good of others. There's humility in Timothy's life, with his joyfully being a servant of Paul and literally giving up many of the joys and pleasures of his of normal young man's life to be able to do spiritual good for other people, and then modeling himself intentionally after Paul, not his peers. Now let's look at one last person who shows us what humility looks like in real life. And you're never going to see this one coming. It's Epaphroditus. And he tells us, Humility is willing to risk my life for the sake of the gospel and the needs of others. And the emphasis there is risk my life. If you have cable, and I'm sure that many of you do, and occasionally you get a chance to see these extreme sports programs out there. You know, the guys who have motorcycles, BMX, and skateboards, and 
some of these guys on motorcycles, they jump over huge things of cars. They flip the motorcycle in the air. I would never try that because I would definitely die. So would many of us. But they're willing to risk their life for fame and for fortune. In Epaphroditus, we see a man who is willing to risk his life, not for fame, not for fortune, but for humility, to consider others and their needs better than his own. Let's see who Epaphroditus is. Epaphroditus is essentially a mailman. That's what he is, just an ordinary guy. We see him in Philippians chapter 4. He was the guy who was tasked from the church of Philippi to travel the 800 miles to bring the financial gift of that church to Paul in Rome. Remember, Paul was under house arrest in Rome. We read about that in Acts 28. And it says he was in a rented house in Rome. So Paul had to pay rent. Uh, Paul also had to have living expenses, but the problem was, while under house arrest and chained to a Roman guard, Paul could not do anything to earn a living. So it was the financial gift of the Philippians, which was very important, because it made Paul's living expenses and rent possible for him in that time. Epaphroditus is just an ordinary guy. Let me emphasize that. He is not an apostle like Paul. He's not a hand-picked successor of, of Paul like Timothy was. He's not an elder in the church of Philippi. Maybe a deacon in the church of Philippi, but he is completely ordinary. What you and I would call a nobody in the church. But here's what I, I like about um, uh, um, about Epaphroditus. Paul seeks out and sets out to honor him. And this is the first point I'd like to show you here. As we look under Epaphroditus, I want to actually look at the way Paul treats him. It's this. Humility is honoring ordinary Christians around us. He says this. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my needs. Paul is honoring this ordinary guy all over the place in this verse. That's what humility does. It's excited to, ordinary, to honor ordinary people, not just extraordinary people. For instance, Paul calls him my brother. That's a term of endearment. That's a term of love for this mailman. He calls him my fellow worker in the gospel. Not somebody who is just there to uh, drop off a, a check, as it were, but he is here to help me. He works with me, and I look at him eye to eye as if he is my own peer. That is humility. And he says, he's also my fellow soldier. And there is an interesting connection here. That's actually a term of honor that was used in the military at that time. What would happen is a higher-ranking officer who would like to honor a lower-ranking officer because of their service, they would call that person my fellow soldier. It was a way of elevating them and honoring them. And Paul uses that very term 
that was used in the Roman military to honor a lower soldier, to honor Epaphroditus. After all, look what he had done. He left his family. He had left his friends. He left his church. He traveled 800 miles to bring a financial gift to Paul. Paul just delighted to honor him. Paul also calls him my messenger, your messenger and, my, and your minister to my need. I'll uh, camp on this word minister because there's some interesting elements to it. The Greek word for minister has a lot of meaning. In Greek city-states at that time, uh, what would happen is there would be people in the community who were rather well-off. They had done well in business. And what they would do is they would become benefactors of the community. They would do what would be a public works project that they would fund on their own for the blessing of the other people in the community. And those are the, um, the term <coughs> used for them is the same term used for the word minister here. By the way, we've experienced this in our community. We have a football stadium that was put in by a benefactor of the community at Spirit Lake High School. We have a performing arts center that was put in by a benefactor of the community. Somebody poured their money in in the community to make it possible to bless everyone else. What's happening in Arnold's Park is also being taken place by benefactors of the community. Somebody pouring their money in to make a great blessing to many other people. And Paul uses this exact same term and he applies it to Epaphroditus. Someone who at great personal sacrifice benefited many other people in the community. He traveled 800 miles to bring the Philippians financial gift. Leaving behind his job, leaving behind his work, leaving behind his family, and then staying with Paul to help Paul as he ministered in Rome. So it's humility, once again, giving up his life for the benefit of others. Now here's where it gets exciting. Humility cares about the concerns of others, not just ourselves. Verse 26, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Let's camp on this idea of ill. Epaphroditus is very concerned for the Philippians because they've heard that he has become sick. Well, you'd think, well, that's a little strange. Why would he be so concerned for them? Well, he's picturing at home his wife probably wondering how things went. He's picturing his children, wondering how things go. He's picturing the prayer chain, as it were, going around the church, people gathering to praying for him because he's sick. And how sick was he? Paul says this in the next verse. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now you may wonder, when did this sickness take place? That Epaphroditus became so sick he almost died. 
is you start to look around the text. Let me tell you when it took place. During the 800-mile journey when he was traveling to Rome. Not when he was already there, but when he was on the way there, he became deathly sick. When you're sick, you don't want to travel, do you? Especially when you're deathly sick. You stay in one place. When you're deathly sick, you want to go home. You don't want to go further. But if Paphroditus, even when he was deathly sick, continued to travel as he was weak, emaciated, dehydrated, could barely walk, continued to travel the 800-mile trip to Rome, because he knew that Paul needed the financial gift that he had in his pouch. That that financial gift would allow Paul to be able to continue in a rented house. That financial gift would allow Paul to be able to continue to eat. Humility is considering others better than yourself. Humility is looking out for the interests of others, not just your own. That's Epaphroditus. An ordinary man who was a very humble man who was willing to risk his life for Paul's very needs. Let me just jump to the very end here. He says, So receive him, or humility is risking my life for the sake of the gospel and the needs of people. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the sake of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service for me. Interestingly, in the early church, there was a, a, a group of people that formed. They were called the paraballo, which is the Greek word for the, the gamblers. They took Epaphroditus as their hero. You know what they did? They would intentionally risk their life for the health, safety, and spiritual good of others. What they were known for was actually going to people who were suffering from plagues that were extremely contagious, that nobody wanted to talk to, and they would risk their life to meet their needs and tell them about Jesus. They said, just like Epaphroditus did, that's what we want to do. In humility, we want to consider the needs of others as more important than our own. This morning, we looked at three ordinary people who lived out their humility in ordinary life. Paul, who was glad to sacrifice his very life for the spiritual good of others, because that's what humble people do. Timothy, who gave his life to serve others, because that's what humble people do. And Epaphroditus, who was willing to risk his very life to serve Paul. Because that's what humble people do. Well, this week it's up to you and me. How are we going to be working out our salvation? How are we going to be humble people who look not just to our interests, but to the interests of others and consider their needs more important than ourselves? And how are we going to do that with gratefulness, not grumbling in the ordinary world? This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. 
More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.